Calvary's cross. A sign proclaimed that he was king. While he hung there suffering, they mocked his name. They could not know that they had spoken one true thing. As Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, bore their shame. Long live the King. Where there's no future, there's no past, He'll reign supreme. As long as everlasting lasts in the new Jerusalem, God with us, in us with Him. Through the ages, He'll hear our praises ring. Long live the King. Men mock and still, and there are millions who still doubt, but their time is running out. To bless his name, and soon they'll know that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. It will be too late, but they will still proclaim. Long live the King, where there's no future, there's no past, he'll reign supreme. As long as everlasting lasts in the new Jerusalem, God with us and us with Him. Through the ages, He'll hear our praises ring. Long live the King. Jesus Christ, the one and only. There's no past, he'll reign supreme. As long as everlasting lasts in the new Jerusalem, God with us and us with him. Through the ages, he'll hear our praises ring. Long live the King. Great song, huh? Great job they did on it, too. Well, those guys get the singing, and man, I'll tell you what, that blend is good. They really, really, really do a great job. All right, well, 2 Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to begin again in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 5. And uh, last week, we kind of started this uh, kind of a mini-series, I guess. It's basically, I've entitled it, Be Faithful, Be Faithful. And so, 2 Timothy chapter 4, <clears throat> beginning in verse 1. 
The Bible says, I charge thee therefore, God, uh, excuse me, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Father, we come to you. We do ask, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts today. We're asking you, Lord, to just encourage us from your word. It's just so wonderful to have your precious book at our side, to know that we can read it and know what you want, what your expectations are, what you desire of us, what you long for, that we can get to know you in such an intimate, personal way. Then, Lord, as we go to you in prayer and we begin to just meditate in your presence and allow you to speak to our hearts, using both your word and your Holy Spirit to speak, we thank you so much. Now bless us tonight, be glorified, be exalted in what will be said and done. May we be inspired to be more faithful. We'll thank you in Christ's name, amen. So, excuse me, there was little doubt that there's little doubt if a believer is going to ultimately overcome the flesh and finish with faith, then they're certainly going to have to navigate a number of obstacles in the world in which we live. We know that to be the case. And we're admonished throughout scriptures to be faithful. Well, Paul is admonishing Timothy to be faithful. That's basically what he's doing here. And he comes to, a con, uh, to the conclusion of his letter. As he arrives there at the conclusion, we know that the shadow of the executioner's axe is looming. We know that he's coming to the end of his life, that it won't be long and he'll no longer be writing his letters. He'll no longer be hoping to visit these particular churches. His day will be done, and the churches will be basically on their own or left with those that have been placed in charge. And so all that remained for the apostle to do now was to charge and to challenge his young son in the faith, and that was Timothy. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we can sense the urgency of the apostle Paul. Again, he's challenging Timothy like never before so that when he is gone and he has moved off the scene, that he'll be around, that someone else will be there to encourage, someone else will continue to keep up the work, that someone else will continue to work in the, the word of God. And so he wants to leave a legacy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. And we talked about that word charge, and we said it was a very strong word. Webster said it was to entrust to as an officer is charged with dispatches. So basically, Paul wanted Timothy to know that this charge was being made, but that not only was he hearing it from the lips of the Apostle Paul, but it was being witnessed by God himself and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as the charge is being made, realize and remember, Timothy, I'm not the only one that's making the charge. It's really God charging you, and he's watching, and so is Jesus Christ. And he goes on to tell him, as we see in the passage, he he lets them know that this is a very serious, it's a very solemn and a very sacred charge. Now again, 
this charge is being given as the Apostle Paul's life is coming to an end. And it's also being given in light of the fact that there's a coming judgment according to the passage. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. And so what he's saying is this, that Jesus Christ is going to judge all mankind. He uses the phrase the quick and the dead. He's talking about those that are the quick alive in Christ that will ultimately stand at the judgment seat of Christ. He's talking about the dead who are those that are dead in trespasses and sins and will ultimately stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment. And so the Apostle Paul's making it very clear to Timothy that he's been charged. He's been given a solemn, uh, a, a solemn um, charge and a, uh, and a sacred charge and that that charge is being observed and seen by God himself and Jesus Christ who ultimately is going to come in judgment. And he's going to judge the world. He's going to judge every man. By the way, Jesus Christ is going to judge you. He's going to judge me, and he's going to judge every person that's ever walked the face of the earth. And someone says, yeah, well, in the great white throne, it'll be God the Father. Really? Although he, the Bible says the Father's committed judgment to the Son. <clears throat> and so Jesus Christ is letting us know he's going to judge the quick, those that are alive in Christ at the judgment seat, and the dead at the great white throne judgment. And Paul recognizes and he understands that <clears throat> this element of attack, the attack of Satan has already begun. He's begun to attack truth. He's begun to attack right. It's already started. Apostasy was taking root. Wicked living was becoming acceptable. And a superficial faith was more common than ever. And he says to Timothy, hey, Christ is coming back. You keep your eyes on the sky, Timothy. Don't you dare fall into the trap of becoming spiritually apathetical or lazy. I charge you, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ that is appearing. He's coming back. And so... <clears throat> We want to consider today now, we addressed most of that last time we gathered, and today I want to address the charge then. He says he charges him, well, what is the charge? What's he charging him to do? What's he commissioning him to do? Well, verse 2 begins to share it. Verse 2 tells us exactly what that is. He says in verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be in season, uh, instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So what is this charge then? Well, right off the bat we see he says preach the word. Timothy, preach the word. Now the word preach is used in this passage, as how it's used I should say, means to proclaim and say a herald, to proclaim as a herald. You say, what does that mean? Well, if you can imagine with me for a moment, picture an imperial guard or imperial uh, herald that's got a trumpet in their hand and they're standing at attention in the public place. And they're crying out in the streets a mandatory mandate or a proclamation in the emperor's name. According to king so-and-so, I proclaim this, this and this and this. 
preaching. This herald is simply crying out in a public place a mandatory proclamation in the emperor's name. And the apostle Paul says, I want you to understand, Timothy, I charge you, preach the word. Stand and proclaim the word of God because it is the masters, it's the kings. Proclaim it boldly in the streets and everywhere. See, there's no room for discussion when this particular herald proclaims this message from his emperor. There's no discussion. There's no debate. The herald is not there to argue the pros or the cons of the demand. He is there to proclaim it and call for instant obedience. That is exactly what he's telling Timothy. When you stand and you proclaim the word of God, it's not time to discuss whether or not someone wants to believe it or not. You just give the truth out. You make it clear and plain. You just blast it and proclaim it because you are representing your king. Again, there's no element of teaching that's being expressed here in this word preach right now. It's literally a straightforward call to action. It's demanding a decision. And that is really the essence of Bible preaching. Again, there's no room in Bible preaching for debate or discussion. When a man of God stands and proclaims the word of God, when a woman stands at a door and proclaims the truth of the word of God, the truth is the truth. Well, I don't agree with that truth. Well, listen, I'm just giving you the truth, and that's all there is to it. There's no debate about it. It is God's word. It is truth. Someone says, well, wait a second. You got to write, you know, you got you to discuss things. I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about preaching now. And, and, and I've included the ladies because I want ladies to understand that you can proclaim the gospel. Amen. This idea that you're not allowed to share the gospel with anybody but a, a woman, that's not true. I'm sorry, that's not true. You can share the gospel with men. You're okay. And you know what? In a sense, that's called preaching, okay? When you proclaim the truth. You're preaching, you're proclaiming the truth. Again, we understand to stand behind a pulpit like this in front of a congregation and to pastor a church is different. That's not the same thing. We understand that when you stand and you proclaim the truth, I, I don't necessarily think that it'd probably be wise for a woman to go out on the street and stand and street preach. I don't think that's probably a good idea. But what I can tell you is this, that when you share truth from your father, your king, I'm telling you what, there's really no debating whether it's true or not. It's true. It's God's word, and that's as simple as it is. Now, we're not going to discuss, I mean, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, come now, let us reason together. We'll look at that a little bit later. But the fact is, is that this herald right now, he is representing a king, and he is simply proclaiming what the king has said, this is how it is. The only duty of the hearer, in this case, after some preaching's been given, is obedience to the call to action. That's what the hearer ought to be doing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Exactly. That's right. I don't know that that's how people respond to preaching all the time, though, do you? Oh, that's all right. Don't worry. Paul the Apostle will address that with Timothy here just in a few moments. Now, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If there is an element in the church, at least over the last 20 years, 30, 40 years even, that seems to be waxing and waning, it is this element of preaching. Right. 
It just seems to me that over the last 30, 40 years, we have really fallen into the trap of, you know, well, people like to be taught. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with teaching. Matter of fact, the Bible talks about it. It's necessary. It's needful. As I mentioned already, the Bible does say that we need to come together and reason. So we understand that's important. However, there's a time to teach and there is a time to preach. And when it's preaching time, we need to clear the desk off and go right at it. And unfortunately today, it doesn't seem that there's a lot of preaching going on in many circles of Christianity or so-called Christianity. And it's time that our young men learn something right now, that there's a place and a time for teaching, but it's time that the men of God, women of God, and others get to preach in the truth of the Word of God. And it's time, let's quit debating whether or not what we preach is always true. Let's just give the truth and let it fall where it falls. 1 Corinthians 1.18. We don't need to apologize for truth either, by the way. It, it's pitiful today how we are. We, we apologize for everything we say if it doesn't agree with what the world teaches. And we feel like we're putting them out when we tell them what we believe. And the truth is, they're putting us out, but we never say that. You know, we, it's, it, it is. It's one-sided. It's too bad. Look at what the Bible says, though, about this preaching. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 21. What's God's attitude? For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Why would anybody be expected to love and appreciate preaching if they don't know Christ? We shouldn't expect it at all. But unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Talking about the world's wisdom. You don't find God. You don't get to know God through the world's wisdom. It doesn't happen. He goes on to say, it pleased God, therefore, by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. He doesn't say it's by the teaching of the word of God. It's not by the song service. It's by the preaching of the word of God. Preaching is God's way. Now, that's why mankind is not real fond of preaching, because that's God's way, not man's way. And someone says, I'm not, I'm not real big on that loud and that, that kind of preaching. I like it nice and quiet, and I like somebody to just talk to me. And can I tell you something? One of the reasons why, it, you, you can say whatever you want, you can disagree with me, and that's fine. You have a right to an opinion. But let me tell you this. There's a couple of reasons why I think preaching is going out of, out of style real quick over the last 20, 30, 40 years. First of all, let me just say this. We have demasculinized men again, and we have taken women and placed them in roles where they don't belong. Amen. Watch, watch them out. Now listen to what I'm going to tell you. You don't, you don't have to agree with this. There has been, there, listen, I have people that have told me they don't like preaching. You want to know why? They don't like getting yelled at. Can I tell you what they do? They go back to their past as a child. They feel they've been abused as a child. They feel they've been uh, verbally abused, physically abused, or somehow they, somebody, I, was, I was in a home with a yeller, a screamer, and every time I hear that, I just can't take it. Now listen to me. We need to get over that stuff. You got to get past that. Because the preaching is something that God says you need. Something I need. But watch, what we have done is we've catered to the feelings and the felt needs of, uh, needs of people. And as a result, we have toned everything down. You don't hear preaching like Brother Ankrum much anymore. That used to be pretty common. It's not common anymore because we're more refined than that now. We, we're more about, we're more like the Athenians. Please teach us something new. 
Don't yell at me and don't tell me what I have to think and what's right and what's wrong. I'll make that decision. I know what's right for me. I don't need somebody abusing me while I go to church. That's the last place I need someone yelling at me, especially some guy. Hey, I'm telling you, there's a lot of truth to this. At least from my perspective, things are what I've seen. I'm just saying, God's perspective is, though, that after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Can I tell you, he's still doing it? You say, why aren't we seeing more people saved? Maybe because we're not preaching much. Maybe we're doing too much teaching in the, in, across this country. Now, I'm not, I'm not opposed to teaching. Don't, don't you dare put that, those words in my mouth. Don't go out of here and say, Pastor, he's all about just preaching. He don't want no teaching. Oh, really? What do you think we've been doing in our series is on Sunday nights? What do you think we've been doing on Wednesday nights? What do you think we do most of the time around here? But you notice who I'm teaching? I'm not teaching lost people. I'm teaching Christians. Christians need taught so they can go out and give and preach the proclaim the, and proclaim the truth and have confidence and courage to do it. But everyone, we need some good preaching too, don't we? Again, teaching has its place and it's vital to the growth of the believer and, it's, and, and, and it is influential in turning a sinner even to the truth. We get that. But it is still the foolishness of preaching that demands a decision that leads to salvation. Man likes to spend time weighing his options, but God simply speaks, and only those who obey his proclamation are saved. It is really that simple. As as long as you continue to debate with God as to whether or not Jesus really died, whether or not he rose again, whether or not his blood is, is sufficient, whether or not you have to be saved the way the Bible says or not, you are never getting saved. You either just simply obey him and his word or you're lost. It is really that simple. Now, Romans chapter 10, verse 13 and 14, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He goes on to say in verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Again, the need for preaching. He doesn't say, here without a teacher. I think it's important. We used to say, you're a preacher boy. We used to say, you know, uh, we, got all these, we got all these preachers up at the Bible college. You taking that preacher course up there? That word preacher and preaching anymore isn't as popular as it used to be. Can you imagine that? Got any teaching boys around here? You got any teacher boys around here? That's so weird. It's preacher boys. I don't even like the boys part. Can I tell you something? I, I, I tell you what, you young men, do me a favor, all right? Don't go around telling me you're going to pastor and preach and teach and you're going to go into ministry and then a year or two later you decide not to. I'm about fed up with, up to here with that junk. Now let's just, let's just hold it back, all right? Let's rein it back. Let's make sure God's speaking to us. We got a void in our country right now. No pulpits. We got people, Brother Ankrum said there's three pastors, three churches we need. We had to send our young men down to a church this past week. Why? Because there's a church with about 11 or 12 people down there that needs a pastor. I can guarantee you that church is going to go a long time without a pastor. You want to know why? Because they can't afford to pay him. 
We don't need people that need a profession. We need people that want to preach. So if you're ready to preach, then you get on the stick. You can go out street preaching without being called to preach. You can go out door knocking without being called to preach. You can lead people to Christ without being called to preach. You can get on the ball doing that. But you know what I found? When people get on the ball doing those things, it's a lot easier to become a preacher. Preacher, you're a blessing today, boy. We love you, brother. Hey, there's no better. I'm telling you, man, I don't care if you are in the full-time ministry or not. Get to preaching, young men. Let's get on this thing. You don't have to be full-time. You are full-time. You're a Christian, aren't you? Everybody's full-time. You're just not getting paid full-time. He says, preach the word. Again, what is it we're to be sharing? It's the word of God. It's not our own opinions. It's not our own ideas or our thoughts. I'll tell you what, it's not easy to get into the Bible and get something on your own. When I say on your own, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, you, and the word of God. That's not always easy. You know what's a lot easier to do? is to hear something that a preacher says or a teacher says or possibly read something someone said and just go ahead and preach that. Teach that. That's a lot easier. But to get something and dig it out of this book, it's not always easy. But that's exactly, that's the only way we can be guaranteed that we don't go down a bad road. You know, I know we we tease, and a lot of preachers will tease. I don't tease like this because I think it's, I I don't like it. But preachers will say things, well, when they start printing better messages, I'll preach better messages. You know, they joke like that. Sadly enough, I'm, I'm afraid sometimes that's reality. And, and I, I guarantee you this, the, one way you, the only way you guarantee that you're preaching the Bible is to make sure it's from the Bible. And I know that there's some great men of God, and there's nothing wrong with if, the, if, it, if it's not broke, don't fix it and all. I get that. But man, I'll tell you what, I... I, I just think we're, we're, we need to be careful that we're getting something fresh from heaven right out of the word of God. And I know from time to time, you get an idea, you hear someone preaching, man, throw it on a piece of paper, young men, start to develop that, but don't, let, don't just mimic what you hear. You better make sure that you find something that God's given you. Take that idea, that thought, and start running it through the word of God. Get something God gives you. Give, that, give something God gives you from the Bible. Preach the word, Timothy. Then notice this. Be instant in season, out of season. Be instant in season, out of season. It's a lot easier from now on. Here we go. Be instant in season, out of season. The second thing on which Timothy was called to do was to be instant in season, out of season. You say, what's that mean? Well, when I went to Bible college, what that meant was simply this. You know what? You need to be ready at the drop of a hat to preach. Okay, that's what they would say to me. You know, always keep a sermon in your Bible. Have a message in your heart. Be prepared to share the gospel wherever and whenever. And you know what? That's good advice. I don't think it's bad. That's good advice, right? But I do believe there's a little more to it than that. Now, Solomon, he made the statement over in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. He basically said, to everything there's a season and a time. So over there... It sounds to me like what he's saying is, is that there's a time to preach. There isn't a time to preach. But the Apostle Paul is blowing that up right now. He is just blowing it up. 
He, he's saying, you know what? The day is too far spent to be comfortable with that kind of philosophy. We don't have time to preach when it's convenient. We don't have time to just make up our mind. We'll preach now. He's saying to Timothy, you be instant in season and out of season. Don't just be prepared when it's the time. You be prepared all the time, anytime, every time. The word was the world was too wicked and, and too full of woe. Life was just too simple, too short. Heaven and hell were just too real to the Apostle Paul. Time was just, I mean, the needs were too great and there was not enough time. Timothy, listen, I'm looking around me and I see that Jesus Christ is coming back. I want you to know, preach the word, be instant, in season and out of season. Timothy wasn't to wait for a convenient time to preach. He was to pay no attention to the weather. He wasn't to take notice of how people were responding to the message. Oh, they don't like it today. I'll just quiet down. Uh-uh. He wasn't to stay home because he had the sniffles or wasn't up to snuff. He wasn't allowed to, 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 to you know, uh, allow the thousands of distractions in the world in which we live to keep him from proclaiming the truth. He wasn't permitted to do that. He wasn't permitted even to allow fear to paralyze him and keep him from preaching. He was to preach the gospel in season and out of season. That's part of the charge that the Apostle Paul's giving him. You preach the word, Timothy. Time is short. Christ's return is soon. There's too much sin and too much woe in the world. Don't let anything keep you from preaching. You get to it. That's what he's saying to him. Then he says, reprove. He says, you reprove. Well, that reprove means to convince of a fault or to make it manifest. You know, the same word is used in John chapter 16, verse 8. Turn there, would you please? This idea of reprove. It's used in John 16, 8, and it describes the convicting work of the Holy Spirit in a human heart. Notice what it says in John chapter 16, verse 8. He says, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Notice he's going to reprove the world of sin. What's he doing? He's going to convince them of fault. Preaching is to convince the sinner of their guilt before a holy God. That's what it ought to do. Now, I don't know about you, but I have found that people don't like to be told that they're wrong. And that, that gets kind of touchy sometimes. I'm sure you've had the experience that I've had. You know, well, why are you sharing that verse with me? What are you trying to say? I'm a sinner? No. Well, good, but God is. I'm not, but God is. People don't like to be told that. They don't want to be, they don't want to be convinced of fault. And in this case, as the Bible says, the Holy Spirit even takes the word of God and he drives that home and he reproves of the world of sin. Well, how does he do that? He uses a preacher and the word of God. 
So preaching is to convince the sinner of their guilt before God. And Timothy's preaching was to bring people under conviction for their sin. That was the goal. John 6, says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I'll raise him up in the last day. Man, the, 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 the Holy Spirit has to draw someone. It's not enough for me to go down here and share the gospel in my flesh, in my own strength, and show them the truths. Although, he says his word will not return void. I get that. But can I tell you, if the Holy Spirit doesn't get in on a, a salvation, there is no salvation. Amen. Well, he said a prayer preacher, if there was no conviction of sin and there was no, and there was no Holy Spirit drawing, there's no salvation. And someone says, well, if you say a prayer, then you're saved. That prayer don't save you. That heart saves you. And I tell you what, we better be careful when we're dealing with people that there, there is evidence of conviction in life. Now, I say with adults, you take them as far as they'll let you go. But I'm telling you, we need to be very cautious and careful, especially with children, that there's an element of conviction there. Why? Because without the Holy Spirit drawing, without that taking place, there is no salvation. Again, it's easy. We want to put everything in a box. If you say these words to Jesus, you're saved. But God doesn't look on the outward. He looks on the heart. I mean, how many people, anybody could say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Come into my heart and save me. I need you today. But if they don't believe it, if they're not convinced of it, if they're not convicted of their sin before a holy God, I mean, we got problems. A prayer alone doesn't save anybody. That's why many times I'm not, I'm not so sure, I'm more convinced probably of this, that many times when someone steps out into an aisle to come forward to receive Christ, they probably have already received him. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not negating the fact that they need to call on the Lord, but many times I think even in a pew like that, if the preaching's been clear and the gospel's been presented in a way that it's understandable, I think many times they recognize, oh, I already need the Lord. I've got to have you, Jesus. I need you. I'm going forward. I think they're hitting the aisle, and they're already taking steps right up into glory. Now, again, someone said, you can disagree with me, but I'm just saying I think God's heart he looks at that heart. And so he says, you need to reprove. Timothy, be in, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove. Convince them of fault. And then he says rebuke. That word rebuke has to do to blame for a fault. Now it's bad enough to try to convince somebody that they're at fault. Now you're going to blame them. <laughs> okay. And preaching is not comfortable for people. Unless you like being preached at because you want God to do something in your life, let me tell you something, it's not comfortable because somebody is trying to convince you of a fault and then wants to blame you for it. That's not fun. That goes against everything. We don't want people being critical of us. We don't like to be told we're wrong. The word translated rebuke in the passage is used in connection with preaching that for one reason or another does not result in conviction, though. See, before, the reproving aspect was to bring conviction, but when we rebuke, that element's out of the picture. That's not the purpose. Whether or not, Timothy, whether or not they are convicted or not, 
you rebuke, and you boldly warn them of the judgment to come. And don't you quit just because you don't see the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit. You give the truth. You preach the truth. See, not everybody that hears preaching is convicted. We don't talk much about the word conviction anymore. I believe it's a word that needs to be brought up a little more. I believe one of the reasons why we don't see more people responding to their salvation the way we think is because there wasn't conviction. I'm just concerned about that. I mean, when you got saved, I got to believe that you thought you were pretty bad, pretty wicked, pretty sinful. I mean, you looked at yourself and you thought, man, how can God even want anything to do with me? I understand salvation is by grace through faith. I'll not argue that. We just preached this whole series on eternal life. But I do believe if we fail, to, to, if there's no conviction in a life, if, if they've not been convinced of fault, if they've not been blamed for it in their own mind and accept responsibility for that, I, I think I, I, I'm really questioning whether or not someone can even be saved there. Because that's the purpose of preaching, though. Why would the purpose of preaching that brings salvation be to convince a fault and ultimately blame for a fault if it had nothing to do with the salvation itself or arriving there safely? I believe it does. Again, he was not called to be popular just to proclaim the truth. Now, finally, let me close. He also goes on to say, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Exhort, that means to encourage, to embolden, to cheer, to advise. The sense that we're given is that it's to excite or to give strength to. Uh, um, It's to give, you know, to to bring an element of courage or the spirit to do, to, to exhort. So he's telling Timothy, he says, you preach the word, Timothy. You preach the word. And you be in season and out of season. Be instant, in season, out of season. Don't wait. Just get busy preaching. And you reprove. You convince the sinner of their guilt before a holy God. You rebuke. You point out the blame. And even if there's no conviction, you just keep on preaching it. And then you are to exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. You encourage them. You strengthen them. You inspire them with all long suffering and doctrine. Now, Timothy has already been reminded of Paul's doctrine. He's been reminded of his long-suffering as well. In 2 Timothy 3.10, we read it last week as we kind of set the stage for this message. He said, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering. That word, again, exhort, has to do with, it kind of gets the idea you're trying to encourage, yes, but you're, you're appealing to a person. You're, in, you're entreating them. You're instructing them. You're begging them. So he's saying, Timothy, yes, you, you, need, to, you, you need to convince them of fault. You, you need to ultimately blame them of it and help them to understand it's not Jesus' fault that they're in the predicament they're in. However, I want you to plead with them. 
They're going to be hard-hearted sometimes. They're not always going to yield to the preaching. They're not always going to uh, uh, yield to that conviction even and, and maybe not even feel it. You be long-suffering. You, be, you, you put up with some things. You be patient with people and you love them and you continue to plead with them. Don't give up on them. I mean, it seems to us, to me sometimes, it's easy for us to just kind of see somebody, well, I gave them the gospel, they want nothing to do with it, I'm done with them. That's not, that's, that's not what he's telling Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, you preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. And he says, and doctrine though. Don't compromise the truth. Don't water down salvation. Don't leave out something that might upset the unbeliever and cause them not to say the prayer. It's not about whether they say a prayer. It's about them getting saved. You just make sure that you love people. You give the truth. You preach it boldly, but you be patient with people and you just love them and love them and love them and keep giving them opportunity after opportunity to be saved. Just keep preaching it. And don't compromise that truth. Don't compromise it. Timothy, be faithful. Be faithful, Timothy. He says, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He's coming back, Timothy. I'm going. But he'll be here. I don't know when, but he's coming back. I'm going away. You're in charge now. You got to take my place. You got to preach. But you remember, God's watching. Jesus is watching, and he's coming back. And when he comes back, judgment's going to take place. So don't let up now. Don't let up. Keep at it. Be faithful. Child of God, be faithful. Be faithful. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Father, for just the simple truths of your word. And, Lord, uh, help us to not lose sight of the fundamentals, the basics, this element of preaching, Lord, sometimes we've lost it, and, and we have good intentions. We don't want to hurt people's feelings, and we want people to be comfortable. But sometimes, Lord, if we're not careful, we have compromised to some degree, at least as a whole across this country and in churches around the nation. It just seems that preaching is no longer so acceptable. It used to be you could go to a tent meeting anywhere in the city, and there'd be preaching, bringing down, I mean, just preaching heaven sweet and hell hot. Lord, it just seems today that most people can't even handle hard preaching. They don't want to hear the word of God without compromise or question in some cases. We just pray, Lord, that here as a church that we would carry on the work that you began and that you ultimately charged Timothy with, that we would be faithful to preach the word, to be in season, out of season, to reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine recognizing and understanding that the only hope that mankind has is your word. The only hope we have is your word. We love you now. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand every head bowed.